Welcome back to another special edition of the Daily Wrestling News Show, where we are on a mission to teach, learn, and remember the history of professional wrestling with everyone that wants to join us. My name is Ryan Joy, and I am here today with John DeCani as we talk about episode number four of Tales from the Territory in this special uh, special Daily Wrestling News Show episode. John, welcome to the show. How you doing? Good morning, sir. Not bad. How about yourself? Very good. What'd you think of uh, championship wrestling from Florida? Uh, it, it it got I mean, maybe not as good as episode one uh, from Memphis, but it got back to you know last week was a little I don't say weak, but there were less stories there. It was a lot more just crap, you know, like frat boy yeah. crap. Yeah. Uh, sometimes literally, unfortunately. And uh, last night, I think it was back to more of what we wanted, like the, the crazy stories and whatnot. And it was, you know, and definitely it was some stuff that I was definitely learning once again, because, I, you know, I knew Florida was a big territory. I uh, there was but there was, you know, people, certain people who were there that I didn't realize kind of got their start there and certain things that happened there that I didn't realize. Oh, that's where that happened. OK, so, yeah, yeah there was a lot, lot to learn. I give them a lot of credit every week when I like they don't ever even really use it that much throughout the show. But when I I search out what their little subtitle is for the episode, yes. they're always like really great. This this week was Bloodstains in the Everglades. And that's just <laughs> freaking awesome. <laughs> Funny, though, they, they didn't really talk about any wrestling. Uh, if you know the geography of Florida, I don't think they really talked about anything specifically that happened in South Florida, they were mostly talking about stories from Tampa and they did some story from Melbourne, which is actually it's probably 45 minutes to an hour North of where I am. So, so, and of course the story that uh, from Melbourne to Tampa, which I'm sure we'll talk about <laughs> uh, the, the, the people telling stories this week, Steve Kern, Gerald Briscoe, Bob Roop, Kevin Sullivan, and Brian Blair. Uh, Steve Kern, if you don't recognize that name, you might recognize Skinner from WWE. That's this is uh, that's his real name. <laughs> so, and uh, and Brian Blair, that's funny. We had Jim Brunzel last yes. week, and we have Brian Blair this week. So now we have the we have the full set of killer bees. Yeah, and so, to think they had to go from Minnesota to Florida to get together and wind up in New York. There you go. Yeah, exactly. So um which story uh, do you think stood out the most to you on this show? Uh, uh, by uh, far and away, it was the one that they kind of got into right off the bat. Uh, Steve Kern's, uh, the, the, the whole pulling the reality of Steve Kern's father in to a storyline on television. And it, in fact, uh, some of the stories that they tell, uh, told last night where oh yeah and you know hey that was just for a house show like right <laughs> just i think the thing that hits me the most about these four episodes so far was that these guys weren't getting paid terribly well mm -hmm. and the dedication they have to this ironclad kayfabe that they're willing to hurt people to keep it going and the fact that the fans are so invested that, you know, I mean, there's 
dozens of, if not hundreds of stories of guys getting, you know, stabbed or punched or attacked or rocks thrown at them and whatnot to, to hit a chord like this, to make fun of a PO, a two time POW man who fought in. And I, I had to, I had to look up some dates because the math just wasn't adding up for me. Oh, good. So, Cause I don't have them. So yeah, go through that. Yeah. Steve Kern's father, was part of the Bloody 100 Bomber Group in World War II. Which, when I think of World War II, I think of my grandfather. I think of, the you know, obviously the 1940s. World War II ends 1945, and in Kern's case, he was liberated by the, uh, the Soviets in, uh, I think he was in Poland, uh, where he was a POW. The Vietnam War starts in 55, but the U.S. doesn't get involved till 65. Wow. So if he was 18 years old in World War II, he's pushing 40 in the Vietnam War. Yeah. You, you, there are not a lot of 40-year-old soldiers. But sure. he, he is once again, uh, you know, shot down. And he becomes a POW, spends eight years in a, a camp there. And, and that is just crazy and insane. And the fact once he was freed, uh, that was wonderful. And he came home to his son who had you know, put on 80 pounds of rip and was a different human being that he almost didn't even recognize. But the fact that they they decided to take that story to the ring, now they did it with Steve Kern's father's blessing because he wanted to do anything to help his son succeed. But knowing how hardcore wrestling fans were back then, yeah, and you weren't doing this for millions of dollars, so you didn't have private security walking around with you to keep you, you know, safe. I mean... They were taking their lives in their hands for what wound up being one of the most memorable storylines in that territory's history, maybe one of the most memorable storylines in wrestling history, but they got two months out of it. Yeah. yeah. And on multiple occasions, uh, Bob Roof, a former soldier himself, All-American college wrestler, Olympic athlete, playing the part of the bad guy, calling, you know, saying that POWs are disgraced for being captured. There were multiple times where he could have been killed for his part in the storyline. And they got two months of play out of it. He did give him an out. He said, anybody that's captured twice right. is a coward. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what, what's interesting about this is, you know, they put Eddie Graham up on a pedestal throughout this whole thing. Um, you know, talking about how, great he was for the business and how great he was for the community and everything. And, and Eddie also kind of took Steve Kern in because he was in the ninth grade when, uh, when his dad was captured and he was like 21 or something like that when he was released. So Eddie Graham was somewhat of a father figure. And it turned out that Steve Kern's first match was the first, was the day that, his father was released or landed back in the United States or whatever. So, Crazy. you know, that kind of incredible. Mm. Now this storyline that we're talking about was Steve Kern's idea and Eddie Graham, they said on multiple accounts would not have signed off on this. He would, it was too serious. He wouldn't do it, but to, to their benefit, I guess, uh, Eddie was in Australia trying to buy that territory and he was over there for three or four months. So Jody Hamilton was the booker and he was fine with it, I guess. So, uh, so they do this angle. And to your point, you know, Kern brings it to Bob Roop. Bob Roop says he was grateful when Kern brought it to him because 
it's like once in a lifetime that you get something so hot. And he knew this would be hot. And because Steve Kern's dad, actually there was national press about yes. this release. And so he knew that it would get really, really hot. And then afterwards, he like when he looks back at it in retrospective, he's also really grateful for doing the angle because it raised their level as performers, both uh, Kern and Bob Roop through that period. So, yeah, that was an incredible story, I thought. Unbelievable. I mean, just, just the fact that, you know, again, we, we've heard just last week, we heard the story of uh, a fan taking uh, legitimately firing a loaded weapon at Bobby Heenan. Yes. And Roop at one point is confronted in a parking lot by a soldier. And he, you know, he realizes, all right, well, I'm, I'm too far away from me. He's got the gun pointed at me like he's ready to go. All he's got to do is flinch his finger and he's firing this gun at me. So I'm not close enough to him to attack him. I've got no cover. I can't run away from him. What the hell am I going to do here? And he basically counts on this person being military, being too honorable to shoot him in the back. So he just turns his back to the man and starts to walk away. Yes. And somehow he left that parking lot alive. You know, it it reminded me of the first episode of Tales from the Territory with the Iron Sheik thing and uh, and Jimmy Hart, where Iron Sheik was like, uh, basically the, the helicopter had gone down and Sheik and Jimmy Hart do their whole promo and everything. And then the Sheik gets death threats. This was like not uncommon <laughs> during this time period. So, and and with with all the stories we have of unfortunate wrestler passings and horrible things that went on, the fact that we haven't just had more wrestlers flat out murdered is almost shocking. Right, right. And the ones that were, to to my knowledge, I've not really heard anybody murdered because of the business. You know, no. Dino Bravo murdered uh, for outside issues, but not you know nothing like. Most most un untimely deaths are due to drug use or suicide. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. the uh, The other theme throughout all these territories is this whole concept of protecting the business and what they do when they encounter tough guys. <laughs> and uh, this one was this one was good. I I kind of have heard some of these stories before about some of these these uh, tough guys and they would come in and uh, they'd bring them in and they would stretch them. And, but the, the part that was an, an addition to those stories, I'll say is the one where Roop has the guy and he stretched him in the ring. He, the guy rolls out and he runs for the doors. Well, Eddie Graham has chained the door shut. So the guy can't get out and he turns around to see Eddie Graham coming at him. And he says, the guy says, oh, God, no, I'm done. And Eddie says, I'm not God, mother. You can fill in the blank. I'm Eddie Graham. <laughs> and he proceeds to punch him and beat him down. And Bob Roop would say, the reason that, that they gave people that beating is because if you just stretch them, they can go into the bar or whatever, and they can still say that it's fake. Yeah. You needed to leave a mark on them so that, they, so that the people knew it wasn't. 
Yeah. It wasn't yeah. Like, broken wrist, uh, dislocated ankle. Yes, yeah, something where you know there was a red flag when you were walking down the street that yeah, you may be a tough guy, but the wrestlers were tougher and they left literally left their mark on you. And yeah. it's just unbelievable and way. And in this territory, it it seemed like not only was this something they did for tough guys or whatever that were that were running their mouth, but also something they like to do to people who just thought they could get into the business. <laughs> like Hulk Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and we've heard this story a bunch of times. Hogan's told it a bunch of times where Matsuda grabs his ankle and twists it. Uh, but Jerry Briscoe provided a few more details, you know, Matsuda's got Hogan in the ring, you know, day one, and he's he just twists Hulk's ankle until it they hear a big pop. Hogan rolls out, pulls his tennis shoe off, and the Briscoes see that it's already black and blue, and it's swelling up to the size of a basketball. They send the future Hulk Hogan on his way, and uh, it's miraculously nothing was broken. So Hogan's, Hogan calls back and he wants to come back and they said you know let's maybe give it a couple of days <laughs> and to hogan's credit he called every day and he was back in the ring within a week and they thought well they really have something with this guy so fascinating really yeah yeah i wonder how how fast he you know it was a week before he was back in the ring i wonder how fast he was back on stage with that bait it just slapping the bass you know right that, that that's what young terry was doing at that time in between getting stretched by eddie and and friends and the and the way he was discovered is the briscoe saw him in the third row week after week because he was just really into it and so jerry kind of uh makes a joke at himself that he's kind of like a groupie for hulk hogan or whatever but uh they seek him out and they go to the bar where he's playing and they talk to the waitress and they're like, oh, yeah, he's a big fan. I'm sure he'd love to meet you, meet with you. So she, so she brings him, brings the Briscoes sort of backstage and they meet Hulk Hogan back there. And uh, and that's kind of how Hogan gets in the business. So, yeah. And it's, it, it's crazy that, you know, he's just he's a mega fan. Like, yeah. You know, he's, he stands out just because he's, you know, six, seven or whatever he is and, you know, built like a Greek god. But. He's, you know, at the time he's, uh, I think they said he was, uh, you know, he was a good baseball player in his youth. And but bowler. other than that, he really wasn't, what's that? <laughs> and bowler, too. Yeah, yeah sort of bowler. <laughs> you got to include all the important sports. Right. Uh, yeah, but he, you know, he's, other outside of that, he's really not much of an athlete. And, you know, here's just a guy, just a, a kid playing, playing in a rock and roll band. And he's a super fan of wrestling. And because he's got the physique for it, I mean, like, th just think about it. Between that story last night about them trying to send him home, and this actually, of course, this comes up in the episode. I think Kevin Sullivan brought it up. And, you know, we had uh, we had talked about uh, Flair and you know, his, uh, his plane crash. What if Hulk Hogan, didn't Terry Bollea, didn't come back to get stretched again? Yeah. Or what if Ric Flair was hurt worse in that plane crash? What would the wrestling landscape look like? Because th those are two crazy happenstances that really could have changed the face of wrestling completely. It could still be a territory, local gyms kind of regional thing. Yeah. Without those two figures, 
Like, so it's, it's, it's bad enough to think, well, what if we didn't have one of them? Right. Imagine if we didn't have both. Right, if, right. if we didn't have, so if we didn't have Hogan, I think Vince McMahon would have made a much more serious play at trying to get Flair and Harley True. Race and those guys earlier on. And he would have pushed somebody into that spot. Yeah. <clears throat> but if he didn't have Flair too, if he didn't have either one, man, the territories and the whole WCW thing, I, that would that would have been Crockett all that period without Flair. That would have been a lot rougher uh, rougher road to hoe. But then again, you had Dusty. You had you had big names. So yeah, and that's just the thing. You know, the, the wrestling is one of those things that you know the show must go on, and someone would have gotten plugged into those spots. You know, guys who already were champions. Maybe sure. their runs would have been longer, or whatever. But would anyone have been as iconic as Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan turned out to be? And I mean, it's hard to imagine that lightning striking a third, fourth, fifth time, and we'd have more of these ultra mega superstars. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I can't help but notice that last week in the AWA episode, they told stories about airplanes. <laughs> and then that thread continued to get pulled here uh, in the Florida episode. So Eddie Graham, apparently really great guy in the community, did a lot with underprivileged kids and things like that. But he had a demon that he had that he had tackled for 13 years. He was sober for 13 years, but alcohol got back in his system and he's somebody who didn't just drive drunk. He flew drunk and very drunk by the sounds of it. Yeah. And the, the fact that, uh, you know, as they said, a great guy in the community, especially did a lot for youth in the community, uh, right within his own family, you know, what he did for Kern kind of being his foster father for seven and a half, eight years during a pivotal time in his life. But then, you know, and and just a you know self-made man, you know, the 1961 wrestler of the year, uh, a guy with a fifth grade education that went on to become a pilot and a boat captain, uh, ran this to you know the, the Briscoe said he ran the territory as tight and as it just was a well-oiled machine. And then alcohol came back into his life, and you know you, you always hear people say, oh, you know they they get drunk or they you know they get. They, they succumb to their demons. They become a totally different person. He became, I'm not just a different person, like the polar opposite. Like he just right. was hell on wheels and a danger to himself and everyone around him. Yeah. The story that he, they had a show in Melbourne. So they took the plane from Tampa to Melbourne and then to go back, they, you know, Graham didn't go to the show in Melbourne. Instead he got wasted with his girlfriend and and so they go to go back to Tampa and he doesn't call the tower in Melbourne to tell him he's taken off. They fly through the fireworks at Disney World, which is crazy to me that that is something that could possibly be done. <laughs> On, and not just because, oh, we were flying and all of a sudden, oh, what unfortunate timing. Here come the fireworks. He saw the fireworks. He flew towards them and turned over his shoulder to Steve and was like, ah, this is like your father and Nam and dive bombed into him. Yes. <laughs> and then started flying to the music uh, that was playing from the eight track player. And then, and then what's 
you know, it doesn't, the hits don't stop there. Then he, then they have to land in Tampa. He again, doesn't call the control tower and he lands the plane on the same runway with that. A commercial airline is landing coming the opposite direction where they're like heading towards each other. And luckily somebody spoke up, got Graham's attention and he, <laughs> he turns the plane off into the grass. And then, he, then they're surrounded by police and he basically falls out of the plane door and starts, you know, a, bumps on the ground and starts sort of selling and uh you know he says i, I was just in the ring how'd i get here you know i, I got hit in the head with a chip by a chair with by so and so and they know they start taking care of him or whatever but and, and he's such a legend the police who are there to swarm this freaking lunatic who is just landed without permission on a commercial runway and then they realize it's eddie graham and they're like oh are you okay you know like yeah that is just that is it's amazing the heroes that these the, the some of these wrestlers were and he absolutely was one to a lot of people especially in that florida territory yeah yeah well and you know they talked about legacy you know if, if they struggled to to bring it up on the show and i can i can see why because they all had sort of personal relationships with the graham family yeah. but you know alt alcohol ultimately took Graham's life in the sense that he committed suicide in 1985 and those problems seem to have sort of stemmed from a lot of things. Um, alcohol just being one of the things that was going on at the time. That was um, the gasoline on the fire. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, he was, he was posthumously inducted into the WWE hall of fame. His son, Mike, uh, who came up many times in the in the story here? His son Mike accepted on Eddie's behalf, but then Mike also committed suicide in 2010. So followed by uh, Eddie's grandson. So, grandson. Yeah, so tragedy, really, um, when you look at how things ended. But what I thought was was good is you know they, at the end of every episode they talk about legacy, and yes, you have the the unfortunate circumstances that surround Eddie Graham's passing. But Briscoe basically said, you know, all of us that kind of grew up through this Florida system, we spread out and we worked all over and we kind of took everything that we did here and learned here and we brought it to the other territory. So in that way, he kind of infected the, the, the rest of the country with the, flavor of florida and then to add to that they talk about steve kern the yes. alumni of of uh florida championship or championship wrestling from florida uh he is tagged as the guy to run fcw florida championship wrestling which is the precursor of nxt and that was right here in florida and it's still right here in florida so yeah. so in a lot of ways uh they kind of were indicating those uh, those that were on the panel here that NXT is kind of the legacy of uh, championship wrestling from Florida. Yep, and and I mean, geez, they, you know, NXT is now making the future WWE stars, and it already has made a whole generation of them. And it all stems back to Steve Kern, and specifically that he wanted to keep it there in Florida, and it all goes back to the, that Florida territory and. That is uh, not inconsequential. And Eddie Graham being the guy who got Steve Kern in the business. Indeed. So, so uh, 
great episode for me to watch as I, um, you know, I live down here in Florida now. I just moved down here a couple of years ago. And one of the things I do it, a lot is I attend coastal championship wrestling shows down here and they refer to themselves as the last territory. And they've recently, uh, you know, Gangrel is the head, head trainer and stuff. Uh, and Bill Alfonso is involved who, if you, I think if you look really closely at some of those clips from last night, you can see Fonzie as a referee. Um, but the larger point that I, that I was making, you know, Kevin Sullivan is involved with CCW now. I think that also CCW in some parts is part of the legacy of, of, uh, championship wrestling from Florida, especially when you look at how, how much territory CCW as a regional promotion down here covers because championship wrestling from Florida, they talked about Tampa, they talked about Melbourne, but I know that they also did Miami. So they covered the, like almost the entire state here. And that's what, you know, CCW hasn't made it up to Tampa, but they're, they've done Orlando all the way South and up to Nashville. So, and and Ocala, which is even further uh, North than Orlando. So, uh, I think the territory system, you know, between NXT and CCW down here, I think that the legacy lives on quite well. Absolutely. Most importantly, have you ever seen a CCW show or have they ever run a CCW show in Yeehaw Junction? <laughs> we didn't talk about the Yeehaw Junction. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where Yeehaw Junction is. I'm going to look that up real quick. Oh, it's just up the road from Okeechobee. Okay. Okay. That makes, okay. That makes a lot of sense. Actually, <laughs> I swear to God, when they started telling that story and the story is not, you know, necessarily not something we have to go into. I just, I assumed that that was just a nickname. <laughs> and then just for morbid curiosity sake, I pulled up uh, a, a map of Florida and I found Yeehaw friggin junction. <laughs> Gotta love the state of Florida. Yes um yeah you're right we don't we don't need to it was you know all about ribs and pranks and stuff and b brian blair got his best uh <laughs> there as well he mooned a restaurant so <laughs> in the end unintentionally unintentionally <laughs> and uh gordon Soley on tv said the people of yeehaw junction would like to thank brian for his public appearance <laughs> <laughs> oh, good stuff next week is gonna be fun john they're doing stampede wrestling. And uh, unlike the state of Florida, I've been all over here. I've never been to Calgary. So this should be, uh, this should be fun. And I, they've, and of course they have Brett on the, uh, Brett Hart on the panel. So I think that'll be, that's, it's kind of like if you didn't get one of them, yeah, you were, how could you really do the show if you didn't get one of them? Yeah. Um, so they got Brett Hart, Abdul the Butcher, David Schultz and Bobby Bass. And I think all of those are people that Brett went into detail in his uh, autobiography about. So at David Schultz, what a legend of everything that happened with him in, in WWE and stuff. So um, it should be a fun panel. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I was looking at Schultz last night and I guess I missed, I must've like turned for a second away from the, the television when they ran the, the Chiron with his name below his face. I'm looking at, it, I'm going like, I, I, I know him. I should know him. Why do I not know? So I rolled it back and I went like, oh, right, Dave Schultz. I'm like, oh, he's got to have some great stories. And 
And how is it Abdullah the Butcher looks about 10 years younger than Bret Hart? You know, it, it's a it's a miracle of modern whatever he's on. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I mean, he, he may be falling apart and whatnot. And, you know, he's got those gashes in his head that he, you know, can hide poker chips in. But, like, just looking at his face, he, he doesn't good. look as old as he is. <laughs> he, actually, he actually looked good. And I think that, you know, he has... Uh, new teeth or whatever too i think and i thought i thought i i agree actually i think everybody that we've seen on this show has looked pretty good for their age um you were just mentioning who who in the panel was in their upper 70s oh uh i don't know if it was this panel or if it was last week yeah, last well, week last week um, they, they were yeah some of them were pretty aged yeah um, tara yeah. and and, and yeah patera was 78 yeah in last week's uh in last week's episode but but yeah so everybody's kind of getting up in age when you talk about the territories because they the territories for the most part kind of were falling they're they're the dying days were in the mid to late 80s yeah yeah um and so every so if you've got people that were veterans in those days now i mean they're gonna be up there they're 40 years on from wherever they, yeah, from yeah. wherever they were. That That is, it's crazy to think about. And that, you know, that's all happened in my lifetime. It's, it's, it's very interesting. And, you know, like I said, every week you, 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 there's something to take away from it. And it's, I love the fact that it's really helping me because I, you know, as I said last week, you know, I knew of the Minnesota territory. I knew of, the Memphis territory, but now it's helping me put the names with the faces, the Gagne's and the Gordon's Gordon Soli that I knew was a legend, but I didn't know, you know, Florida was kind of his original place. And I didn't right. necessarily know that. And of course I knew the name Eddie Graham and I didn't know that necessarily that Florida was his backyard. You know, that was his place. So I, I love the education that I'm getting in terms of putting those faces on them you know putting those faces that i knew and now in my head i can put them on the map yep yeah and and i like the uh the idea of that i'm i'm sort of learning the legacy of the territories Absolutely. of each one from the people who were there they're saying you know this is where i think our territory had an impact on what you see today i i think that's cool so the other thing that i took away from last night was um uh gerald briscoe you know, like yeah. you know, like in my head, the minute I hear the Briscoe name, I think of Flair running down. You know, the Briscoes and Harley Race, and you know, yeah. I mean, name and all. Uh, in my lifetime, I know him as kind of you know the, the, the Stooge. He was the goofy uncle, and now he's become kind of the goofy grandfather. Right. There was a shot of him last night at like I guess a press conference, sitting down at a table, kind of with his arms folded in a collared shirt handsome young man that he was but man just look like i i when i think of him i think of him with a big goofy smile on his face yeah. and doing something that's making me laugh that young gerald briscoe is a man i would not f with like, <laughs> just that he looked like he would tear your goddamn head off right right and, his, and that's and perspective his, i just don't have on the briscoes yeah and his brother jack was the big uh the big singles guy right so all right, that's that. I think so. Why don't we cut it off here, John? Um, and I'll see you right back here next week. We'll talk about Calgary. So stay in P, baby.